Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing folks all around town, all around the country. That's where, it. Every, all around the world, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you may be, you just give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And I see Paul's already called in. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Lewis. Love the show. Been Thank a you. time listener. Live in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, and, great. Uh, got a question for you about a 2009 Scion XB. Okay. Recently purchased took your advice, bought a higher mileage vehicle, mm-hmm. newer, and love the vehicle. Great Toyota products are all the best. And it does seem to use a little bit of oil. Okay. I wanted to know, it is the 2.4 liter motor. Wanted your input on that, if there was anything. I know some people will go in and re-ring them. Or yeah. What uh, quantity of oil are you using, Paul? I mean, how much over 1,000 uh, miles? You know, I haven't precisely measured mm-hmm. it, but probably not any more than a, a quart in 1,000. Yeah. Well, if it's using a small amount of oil and it's not affecting, like it's not fouling the plugs out or any of that kind of stuff, sometimes the fix is worse than the problem. And that's kind of where I was at with it. I had done a little bit of research mm-hmm. and kind of thought about doing some sort of upper engine cleaning mm-hmm. with, you know, some chemical. Sometimes that, that does help. Advised? Yeah, sometimes that'll help. I know GM had a problem with their 4.6 liter. The North Stars used a considerable amount of oil. And they came out with a series of chemicals. Some of it you'd pour through the spark plug holes, and then some you put in the oil, and then you'd do ya 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 ya. And I've done several of the chemical treatments on different engines, and sometimes it helps a great deal. Sometimes it helps a small amount. Sometimes it just doesn't help at all. It just kind of depends on the severity of the problem. Where it really seems to help is if the rings are stuck in the piston grooves, which do happen sometimes. Yeah, and that's kind of what I what I suspect. Mm-hmm. Now, I have no idea what oil was used in this vehicle well, for the that, 180,000 miles. See, and that's yeah. a problem because just changing the type of oil can make it start using oil. And there's, if, even if you put an exact same viscosity and all the same specifications, but say they go from Quaker State to, say, ExxonMobil, and, and it could be any, any two brands, the additive packages can be different, which can cause rings to stick and stuff. Is there any one brand that is somewhat more universal to other oils? No, not that I've really. found. I had the same. I, in fact, I have a Toyota Corolla. This has been many years ago. Used absolutely no oil at all. And for some reason, somebody talked me into trying a different brand of oil, and I did. And, I mean, it immediately started using like a quart in a thousand. So what I did is I went back to the original oil, and slowly it took up and quit using oil altogether. It, it wasn't using oil when I got rid of it. But, I mean, I would probably just pick one brand, something that's easy for you to get, because if all is hard to get, then you're less likely to stay with it. So find a product that's easy to get, that's something you like, and then start using that. And I would probably go to real frequent oil changes, at least initially. I'd be changing all at least like every 3,000 miles, because just that, because all it all has detergent. Sometimes you can get in there and all will clean it up. I mean, if you want to try a chemical treatment of some sort, there's several different things you can use, and... What's effective, pour a little bit down the spark plug holes, crank it over, blow it back out, and pour some in the oil, run it, and see what happens with that. I don't think it could possibly hurt anything, you know, unless you just took it to some wild excess. But that may help some. Beyond that, you know, you just got to weigh out how important it is to you. I mean, if it's burning a lot of oil. I can constantly check the oil and wouldn't really, Mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't bother me at all. I, and, and it's not, like I said, it's not consuming a ton, but as far as doing a chemical treatment on it, is, is 
I don't know, I just kind of would prefer it didn't consume any oil. Right. But if that's not going to be possible without an engine rebuilt kind of thing, I'm not going to do that. Right. And really, even if you had to re-ring it, that's not a horribly hard job on that particular engine. That's a relatively simple little engine. You just pull the head off, pull the pan off. You might be able to even do it in the car. Some of them, the mm-hmm. rods and stuff will come out from the top. You know, just take the caps off your crankshaft, push the pistons out, re-ring it, put them back together. Some of them you do have to pull the engine out of the car, depending on the way it's designed. But it's not the end of the world. You know, it's it's the biggest job, though, just for a small problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, that answers my question. I mean, I know you guys don't talk about brand names over the air. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular cleaner or that you that you use that you know is, isn't going to do any damage? I mean, people talk about, I guess, seafoam and other things like that. Right. I know you like certain Chrysler products that you use throughout the shop. Yeah, I, I mean, generally was going back to GM and buying the chemical they recommended for the 4.6 liter engine. And I imagine if you got a kind of a halfway sharp GM parts guy and just tell him, look, if I had a Cadillac with a 4.6 liter engine that was burning all, there's a technical service bulletin out. Could you tell me what part number that is? And that is something that GM brought out. I'm sure they didn't make it. They just bought it. But. I'm sure they researched it to the degree. I've used their products before, and they seem to work okay. Okay. Well, I think, I think that'd be a safe thing. And, a and I don't remember. in parts department try to find it. Yeah, I don't remember Toyota ever having a TSB on that that I well, can recall. Well, they did have a bulletin, or I think a, a warranty extension. They did. They did. Motors, up to 150000 We have 180, So, And I'm not even sure that it burned oil when I got it because – I did the first oil change, and mm-hmm. I went to Toyota and bought Toyota oil, mm-hmm. Toyota filter, did all that, and then I noticed it was consuming oil. Yeah, it's probably so. a, br- a brand difference. And, you know, really what I've seen, Paul, sometimes if you just keep on using the same oil, it may just take up. It, it may just okay. go ahead and, you know, but I would not push it out very long on changes. I would try to do some pretty no, frequent I, changes I initially. You know, when, it, when it was consuming, I changed it really quickly because mm-hmm. I've heard all this advice from you right. over throughout other podcasts. Mm-hmm. and. uh yeah, I mean, I think I'll just change it pretty regularly. Perhaps Keep an eye on it. Right before I do the next oil change, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll clean the rings by pulling the plug. Yeah. And uh, and just kind of see what kind of luck I have. Yeah, I mean, I don't see where it could hurt anything. I mean, I wouldn't get real crazy with anything because you could damage the catalytic converter if you start dumping too much foreign stuff in there. But, yep. I mean, a small amount and just kind of watch it and see, hey, that helped a lot. Maybe I'll try a little bit more next time. You know, that kind of a thing. I mean, because you could do it more than once, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, any other advice on the Scion XB things that I should uh, keep my eye out for? Really it's, haven't you know, seen I, much I trouble with them. For a long time. Yeah, we haven't There's seen a lot of trouble with those. They they're pretty good little vehicles. I, I always like that little vehicle. It kind of looks like my logo, the little car on my logo. <laughs> so, it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always like that little vehicle. And and like I said, I was really sort of surprised that they didn't catch on even more than it did. I mean, they were fairly popular for a while, but it never just really blew out the market like I thought it might. You know. But, uh, yeah, yeah we, we don't see much trouble out of them. Mm-hmm. I have one of those. That's the wife's car. And then I have a uh, 2000 GMC Sierra pickup with 218,000 miles on it that I absolutely <laughs> love. And it's probably not even halfway through its life. There you go. Those, those generations of trucks, I think, are awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So Awesome. Well, thanks for the advice, Lewis. Okay, Paul. the show and look forward to, you know, listening. Well, great. Thanks for calling. Yep. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. I think we got time to sneak one more call for the break. We got Herb online. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. I want to ask you about a two sixteen Toyota Tundra. I got a hydraulic whine. It don't sound like air 
in the line, but it's you crank it up in the morning and you stand outside while the fan's making much racket, you can't really hear it. You go get in it and start backing out of the driveway and go to town where well, you still can hear that, you know, as you speed up and slow down the engine. And I got plenty of power steering fluid. And well, let me ask I you just, this, Herb. You're kind of assuming it's power steering noise, but if you turn the wheel back and forth, does the noise change? I didn't try that. Try that uh, first off because it may not be power steering at all. I mean, there are other I, I things that can make a noise like that. Well, sounded, does it yeah. does it happen when you when you're sitting still or when you're moving? Because if it happens when all the time, you, all the time sitting still it, are moving. If it happens mm-hmm. sitting still. Then you can almost forget about the transmission. Yeah, if it's park, see, transmission will normally, if you go from park to drive to reverse, different things are being engaged, and it would at least change the noise. It may not go away, but it would change it. There'd be some kind of increase or decrease. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming it goes up and down with vehicle, with engine speed, with RPM. Yeah, when I back out of the driveway, I can hear it as I give it gas and then let off the gas and then change gears and give it the gas. Yeah, as, okay. as the or, engine RPM goes right. up and down. I think the first thing I'd do is put it in park. You know, turn the motor off and take the belt off. Yeah, serpentine okay. belt. Crank, Temporarily take that belt off. And crank, see. It, crank it back up and see if the noise still exists. If the noise is still there, then you can forget about the accessories on the front of the motor. It's probably something internal. Yeah. But okay. if the noise is gone, then you need to start looking at the air conditioning compressor, anything that the belt is turning. The alternator, mm-hmm. there's different tensioners, there's pulleys on there. I'm trying to think what else is on it. There's a several different yeah, bearings got all on kind the front. Of stuff in there, but the thing that if, if it were a power steering noise, I just think that if you turn the belt, you turn the wheel back and forth, it should change. Particularly mm-hmm. if you go all the way over, because that pump pressure goes sky high when you do that. It ought to change the noise. So try that. If the noise changes when you cut your wheel back and forth, then it could very well be the power steering pump. And you know, some pumps just because they're making noise doesn't mean they're bad. Some mm-hmm. of them are just noisy. I know Chrysler, Chrysler had yeah. that problem, and it came out with a little baffle in the reservoir. Mm-hmm. That Because even when they were full, they made noise. And this new reservoir fixed their problem. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it was drawing a little air. Even though the reservoir was full, it was aerating the fluid and making that racket. And they came out with a revised reservoir. And like I said, now I haven't run across that on Toyota, but, you know, who's to say? But try cutting your wheel hard both ways. Try different gears, and I'll see what affects it. If none of that really seems to affect it much, I'd pull the belt off temporarily, crank it up, and see if noise is gone. Okay. Well, it, it, it lasts for several miles before, you know, and then mm-hmm. I kind of forget about it. But Yeah. I, okay. Yep. I will check all that then. Check those things. Now at least head you in the right direction. Okay. All righty. Thank you all. All right, Herb, all thanks, right. man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to take one more or one, one. one quick little break. <laughs> <laughs> one first break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Great fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quick lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you got the time, why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll be glad to talk to you and kind of find out what's on your mind. There you go. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning to get a live answer, you can always visit our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. Couldn't be any easier than that, and we sure appreciate it when you do. Last week, we had a few callers, and this mm-hmm. week I had an email. Okay. And, again, it kind of goes back to the confusion about motor oils and all. And I know we've talked about this a fair amount, but right. it just seems like every year it just gets more and more confusing. And this year being no different. Yeah, exactly. They keep. I, I don't know if they're trying to simplify it in a... I don't know, <laughs> some <laughs> type of a manner, but they, they're just it's definitely confusing. confusing the devil. I, it, to me, it's more confusing now than ever before. And We had a gentleman who had emailed. He said he had brought his parents into the dealership to get the oil changed, and it was a Nissan product of some sort. Okay. And the vehicle specified 5W30 engine oil. Right. Well, when he gets it back, he notices they put 0W20 in it. So he immediately goes back and asks them, and they said, well, that's a better oil. Well, you know, the word better is doesn't apply in this case. Certain things may be better than other things under certain circumstances, but in the wrong application. It's not any better at all. It may do damage. They're, do they're damage. Worse. Yeah. yeah. You know, steel may be better than plastic unless you're in a corrosive environment, in which case plastic may be better than steel. Sure. Because if strength is not an issue and you want something that can resist corrosion, then plastic's a much better choice. Even though maybe it is not quite as strong as steel, strength is not an issue here. Corrosion protection is. Correct. And vice versa. Plastic is excellent for a number of choices, but if we're going to put it in a bridge, it really doesn't work very well. <laughs> so exactly. It's the right product for the right application. And while Zero W20 is a superb product sure. in the engines it's designed to run in, the 5W30 engines don't have the tight enough tolerances to take advantage of that, you may lose some oil pressure. You may not get proper lubrication. So, no, that's real. And, and then further, they said, well, this is a synthetic product and you can go longer, which is, again, an irresponsible thing to even say. Sure it is. Synthetics really aren't designed, in my opinion, to go longer. They're designed to give better protection. Correct. Because a synthetic is a better detergent than a conventional oil which, is. Which means it's going to clean a whole lot better than a conventional It's going to get dirty oil. faster, and some of the additives in it will probably deplete faster. Now, the oil itself, yes, it can hold up. Sure. However, when you get it full of moisture, because the way you drive is little short, short trips and it never gets hot enough to get any of that out, it's going to become contaminated as fast or faster than conventional oil does. And that's something that the oil filter is not going to take out because right. it is a liquid contaminant. It's a liquid, so it's going right through the oil filter just like the liquid oil does. Yep. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice to go to a synthetic with the thought of I'm going to not change my oil as often. Mm -hmm. Under those circumstances, I think you were better to stay with your conventional oil and change more often than you would be to go with a synthetic and try and extend it out. Right. And what's really, really, really confusing is lately, if you go to a parts store or whatever, you're going to notice almost every oil on the shelf is is labeled synthetic. Yeah, right. It has a synthetic label. And a few years back, they change the definition of what i always consider synthetic Uh, synthetic was more or less a man-made kind of a product right and now it doesn't refer to the product or what it's made out of at all it's the level to which it's refined and they can take 
almost any oil, any type of oil, and they can refine it to a state where they can call it synthetic now. And virtually under this new definition, almost all oil falls under synthetic. So it, to me, it's just confusing. Even more. You really don't know what you're getting. Right. So about the best thing you can hope for is look at the classifications on the oil. If it's API, make sure it meets SN. That's Sam Nancy. Correct. That's the highest classification under API right now. And under ILSAC, you want to make sure it's GL5 or better. They're working on a GL6 now, but it's not out yet. GL4 is the earlier rendition and so on. But if it meets the SN and GL5, it's probably going to meet the specifications for your car. Correct. If you have a General Motors product from 2012 up, you're using, you need to be using the Dexos. Dexos standard. That's standard. its own standard that GM came out with. Now, with Dexos, it may be labeled synthetic blend. It or, may be labeled synthetic. It may not be labeled at all. But if it has the Dexos logo, correct, then that means it is supposedly going to meet all the requirements for your GM product. There are a few other brands out that do meet the Dexos, but the label has to be on the, on the right. jug itself. It'll have the Dexos label. Dexos is not a brand of all. It, it is, is a specification. Correct. So all companies have to purchase the right to use that logo mm -hmm. and what Some it does do. it specifies and it doesn't necessarily mean that all without the logo doesn't meet it it just means the ones with it do meet it correct so i know that's even more confusing <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the phone lines we got jake online good morning jake how are you doing this morning doing great sir good morning my problem is i have a 2007 toyota corolla uh -huh. it has 150,000 miles okay on it, and it tracks real good straight down the interstate doesn't shimmy at all, but when I go into a turn mm -hmm. and I pick up a shimmy, what would be causing that? When you're saying a shimmy, the, the steering wheel starts to kind of rock in your hand? Yes, sir. Is What speed is it? Is it all speeds or any specific speed? Well, mostly in a, you know, in, when you make a right-hand turn or a left-hand turn. Yeah, but I mean at 10 uh, miles an hour or at 50 miles an hour? Oh, uh, say 15, 20 miles an hour. Low speed. Are you coasting? Yes, sir. Are you coasting you or, coasting or, you're through the car or are you accelerating, accelerating through? Oh, just uh, just coasting through the turn. Mm -hmm. I tell you, the first thing I would try, Jake, is try rotating the tires on it because that almost sounds like a tire problem at that low of a speed. It sounds okay. like maybe there's a bad spot on the outside edge of one of the tires, and you know, like maybe a little separation that's starting out, and when you're turning, it's loading that area. Because okay. at that low of a speed, balance wouldn't be an issue. It could be an ounce and a half out of balance. You won't feel it till you get up to 45 or 50. So well, at, now when at, I'm going... When I'm going straight down the interstate, say, 75 right. miles an hour, it's smooth as glass. Right. right. See, that again tells you it's probably not a balance issue. More likely, you've got either a separation towards the outside edge of the tire, and when you're rolling down the interstate straight, you're rolling on the inside of the tire, and it may be flat and smooth. But when you're turning okay. the wheel, you're kind of loading that outside edge. That okay. would be my best guess because of the speed that you mentioned. Okay. There's very few other things that are going to have enough oomph to shake that wheel at 15 miles an hour other than a tire. Okay. So try rotating the tires, and it may not go away, but it's going to change fundamentally. You might feel the back starting to wobble and the front smoother. I see. But that is would that, be is, where, where I would start. I mean, the only other thing I could think of would be something like a wheel bearing that's loose that lets something shift, but you'd almost certainly have some kind of noise you have a wheel uh -huh. bearing were that bad. I see. Okay. Well, I do appreciate it. All right. Do enjoy your show. Well, thank you, Jake. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
205-291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. And, you know, with vibrations and wobbles and all, you got to kind of know what things bring it on. For instance, the things that are going to shake at 15 miles an hour are totally different from things that are going to shake at 45. Exactly. And probably different, again, from the things that are going to shake at 70. Because each thing, you know, something that is, like, out of balance, like, say, a tire out of balance. And that's going to show up about 45 miles yeah, an you're hour. Not gonna, up. It's not turning fast enough at 15 to really manifest exactly like it would at, say, 45. Now, there, on the other hand, if you have a bad inner CV joint, right. you will get a, a wobble in the steering wheel on acceleration. Right. Even in a turn. because Well, maybe it, even more so maybe. in a turn. And one other thing, and Jake, if you're still listening, that kind of, I didn't mention it before, but it is possible. If you have like a broken motor mount on some cars, what can happen in a turn is the engine can shift to one side and load a CV joint or even bottom out a CV joint. That's particularly a problem on a vehicle that's been wrecked at some point in the past and right. something isn't exactly right. I remember we used to run across that where someone would hit a curb, bend the lower control arm mount in, right, which would effectively shorten the distance, the distance of the axle. But because you've got a plunge joint on the inside, it could kind of live with that because it, it would just plunge in a different area. Right. But then as the car got older, you forgot all about that collision, but the motor mount started getting weak. Now when you would turn, the weight of the engine would shift, and because it was inadequate amount of plunge on that joint, the joint would bottom out, and, and it, it would, would wobble you. the front end, and yep. you would feel that at lower speeds. Dodge Caravan used to be notorious, notorious for Notorious for that problem. We used to have those a lot. Yeah. And because they used several different length axles and all, if you had the wrong length axle in it, like right. somebody changed the axle. Put the wrong one in it, and the engine was shifted over and bottomed out yeah, that, it had that front mount that would hold everything and those broke constantly oh, yeah. and yeah, they were would, always if rotating tires doesn't make any difference then i would be looking at some type of a shift you mm-hmm, know in the engine in like a broken engine mount or something that's shifting and loading one of the drive axles and again on that sometimes if it's in the curve and you're coasting and you give it the gas in bit. the curve if you're able to do that you may notice it's even worse right it may get worse and if you kick it in neutral it just coast through the curve it may be slightly better so it's going to be a subtle difference but that might be with the way to check it yeah else you can look at but again i would first go after the tires because the tire would be the most and it's the easiest thing to do and very easy to do yeah hey we can take one more quick little break be right back with a whole lot more so madame babushka you can tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match yes as i gaze into my crystal ball i see him over a grill and now he's on a couch watching football eating a large plate of meat meat yes no veggies now i see him on a boat fishing and then on a deer stand fishing and hunting yes i'm afraid so wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At AGCO, you can. Take your car to AGCO once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tweet to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291 
And that's exactly what Kelly did. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Liz. I'm in the process of building a motor for an older vehicle. Uh-huh. And, of course, it's on the performance side. But mm-hmm. as I've been building it, I've been reading different articles, different forums, and they're all recommending that I add a zinc additive. How old of an engine are we talking, Kelly? 1970s yeah 1970s you're not gonna have too too much trouble that was very very important if it was like a 20s 30s 40s kind of a motor i mean it can't hurt to do that but are you going back with a roller cam or a flat tappet cam roller cam yeah so if you're going back with roller cam you're gonna alleviate most of the need for that where the zinc came in was with the flat tappet cams and really with the old ancient flat tappet cams that was where it was so important I mean, I think if you used a good, I would probably go with a synthetic type 5W30 or something. What type of engine is it? It's a 460 that I'm pretty much put a stroker kit in it. Yeah. Had custom pistons made. Mm-hmm. The newer cylinder heads freed up the airflow in them. Right. And I mean, under those circumstances, you've pretty much built the engine back to modern standards. Right. You know, all the things yeah. that were a problem, you've eliminated with the roller cam and you may even have roller rockers on it. I, I didn't ask, but I do. yeah, I mean, yeah. with those, that's the same thing. That's the reasons why they left those things out of all because they were kind of nasty chemicals and they weren't necessary with the rollerized stuff that we have on modern vehicles. So you've built this more or less to a new standard. So I don't think you're going to need any of that. That engine probably originally ran 30 weight all, I would think. But something like a good 5W30 in a synthetic, you know, full synthetic should be fine. I don't think you'll ever have any problems with that. Not lubrication related for certain. Yeah, well, that's what I was anticipating because as I'm checking all of the tolerances, mm-hmm. the clearances, right. the bearings and everything, mm-hmm. I'm like at one to one and a half thousand. Yeah. Inch. Yeah, on uh, your, your mains and rods. Yeah, which is <laughs> way tighter spec. Yeah, that's a lot more. tighter than the, the original would have been two and a half to three. Right. Yeah. And where back in the day, we, we'd be worried about it being that tight. Yeah, uh, yeah, you really would. But, you know, I'm thinking like a 5W30, fully synthetic, it should give you everything you need there. The 5 will get up to the top end all a little quicker than a straight 30 weight would. And you're still 30 weight when you're hot, which is all you really need. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't okay. think you would need any zinc additives and something like that just because you've basically circumvented all the problems. You built it to new standards. Kind of what I was thinking, but mm-hmm. I try to listen to you every weekend. I was listening to you talking about Motorola, and then I was but you know what? Let me ask you about <laughs> It is you so know? confusing yeah, it is. now. I mean, they keep changing it up, changing it up, changing it up. And, I mean, I guess they're trying to help people, but it just tends to confuse the devil out of everyone. And there's really oh. – I even went on the Internet, and I was trying to bring my own knowledge up to speed. And, I mean, you know, so. Yes. You know, I mean, even from – the research that other people have done, the oil passages or different things that ways to modify them to get them to flow oil better. Mm-hmm. That, I, that I learned polishing up some of the stuff. Right. Where I, yeah, I spent, I don't know, three weeks just prepping the, the block. Yeah. Right. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Cleaning up some of those burrs and stuff where it all can run back down faster and all. I mean, and that's all good. I mean, but. The standard you're building to is much, much higher than the original engine was built. So you should not have any problem with that using modern oils in it. All right. All righty. Well, just a question I had. Didn't know if anybody else out there might have had a similar thought about it. Well, there you go. I appreciate you calling. Thank you, sir. All right, Kelly. Thanks, man. Bye-bye.
All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Gretchen online. Good morning, Gretchen. Good morning. I love I love the show. I'm Thank cooking uh, pork steaks and smothered cabbage today. So. <laughs> what time we? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, I have a CX-7 2010. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to stretch it as long as I can before buying a, a new vehicle. Mm-hmm. The problem that I have is that this past week when I went to start my ignition, the wheel was tight, so I turned the wheel, and I I don't know if I stripped something in there, but now when I take my key out of the ignition, the light says that my keys are still in the ignition. Get the beeping sound. I shut it on, shut it off a couple of times, and then it will go off. Yeah. My remote locks do not work, and then stuff. So I've tested, changed the key fob, mm-hmm. battery, I've yeah, tested all the fuses. It's not going to be anything with that. Most likely, Gretchen, there's a little, like a little brass piece inside the lock cylinder. And what it uh-huh. does, it's basically a little switch. When the key is in there, it touches and makes electrical contact. And that's how it knows the keys are in the ignition. Right. What will happen is that little brass piece may break loose and kind of fall to the side and touch the cylinder. When it does... It's making contact, so it doesn't know if the key's in there or it's just in there. Now, your remote's and all not going to work because it thinks the key's are in the car and doesn't want you to lock the key in the car. So it's just right. o- it's o- the computer's overriding because it looks at that, and if it sees the key's in the car, it won't let you lock the door. Right. But very likely that's going to be inside of that little cylinder, and you could verify that if you had the proper tooling fairly easily. You know, with a scan oh. tool, you can go in, and it'll show you the key's still in there when it isn't. Then, if necessary, you can unplug the lead going to it, and if it goes out, well, you know it's in the cylinder. Sometimes a locksmith can get into that cylinder and just remove that little brass piece, and that's the simplest, easiest, cheapest fix. Now, the only problem there is it's not going to warn you your key's in the ignition anymore unless it's fixed. Now, the the other fix is to replace the cylinder if that's found to be the problem. And that's kind of involved, but, I mean, not it's not like thousands of dollars. It would be a couple hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to save the the money that I'm putting into it mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've already put about fifteen hundred this year. Right. Cheers. I'm monitoring what I need to do. Oh yeah, yeah. How important it is to you? But I would at very least try to get that little piece. If it is what I think it is, and that little piece is broken loose, yeah. it can fall down into the cylinder and lock the cylinder up where you can't get the key in or out. Okay. So it can right. strand you. So from that perspective, even if you just have somebody getting there. I think they take a little piece of t- pair of tiny forceps and get in there, and they can catch it and pull it out if that is the problem okay. at all. But that's the most likely thing. Okay. And what's the tool that you said? Well, if you had a Mazda scan tool, you could just plug in, and it would tell you, hey, key's in an ignition, and they're not in ignition, oh, okay. then you know you know, you know, know it's reading improperly. So Then you'd have to do a okay. little more testing. A little bit more testing to isolate right. it to the cylinder. I mean, because it could okay. technically be a wire something's touching somewhere. Correct. But if it all kind of happened at one time, you know, got hard to turn and all that, it kind of sounds likely. like to me that's what it is. Yeah. All righty. All right. Well, thank you all so much. All right, Gretchen. And I enjoy the show. Well, thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. You know, Ford used to have that problem a lot. They did. With their cylinders. And Mazda probably uses a Ford cylinder. Well, Mazda and Ford are about Basically, the same car anyway. They share they, a yeah, lot they of components. Yeah. Ford supplies stuff to Mazda. Mazda supplies stuff to Fords. And they, I want to say, I think, Ford owns a percentage of Mazda. And right. Mazda owns a percentage of Ford. They share a lot of their technologies. And as much as I hate to say, I don't think it was to either one of them's betterment <laughs> because it's not like Mazda brought Ford up or Ford brought Mazda up. They kind of both 
brought each other down yeah. in, in, in my Went down experience. together? Yeah, kind of, I don't know, whatever. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those ignition cylinders, they're designed to work to be able to be removed from the columns with the key in the cylinder and able to be turned. Right. And if that key will not go in the cylinder or if you can't turn the cylinder. Like if you get a catastrophic failure. Then you've got a problem. Well, you, a major problem. A major problem because if the key no longer goes in the cylinder, now the cylinder still has to be changed, but you can't rotate it to get to the get position it. to remove it. Correct. So now you end up trying to either take the whole steering column out of the car and take it apart or maybe trying to drill the cylinder out. And a and, lot of that stuff is hardened. Well, it has to be necessarily because if it were easy to circumvent the lock cylinder, then a thief could sure. steal the car. Sure. So it is necessarily designed to be Hard difficult to get to right because if not it wouldn't be secure and so that that's the reason they build it that way with the back door that you can put the key in turn it now they know you got you own the car because you got the key or at least they sure. assume you got the key you own the car you turn the you cylinder can turn it and you can push the engage it and it, it pops right out it's fairly straightforward but right the thing is if your ignition cylinder is giving you problems the time to act is before it totally fails exactly because once it fails, it's going to get exponentially more expensive to repair. And, you know, I've seen those cylinders have the wrong key put in them on accident, mm -hmm. the ones that are already compromised, mm -hmm. and when the wrong key goes in it, it's, it's over. It can really it's, tear it's it up. up then. Yeah, because like I said, it's already compromised, and that just tears it the rest up, of the, the way. Rest of the way. Yep. And now the whole problem goes, and not only that, but you're stranded. Sure. You, you are wherever you are because you can't get a key <laughs> in the cell. You can't lock the steering wheel. You can't do anything right. anymore. Hey, I think we can catch one more call before the break. We got Paul online. Good morning, Paul. Hey, Lewis, Paul, I've got a 98 Lincoln Town car. Uh -huh. The brake pedal's a little low, and when you push the pedal back and forth, you get a little rush of air, you know, sound of a pulsating air back coming. Mm -hmm. That was fairly common on those older uh, Lincolns and Fords and Mercury's, Paul. Normally, the noise is the brake booster, uh -huh. and the low pedal could be the same thing, although it could also be two separate problems. Now, one other thing, if the master cylinder is leaking in the rear cylinder, the fluid can run into the booster, and particularly on a booster that old, that fluid is going to destroy that diaphragm yep. really quick because the diaphragm's already compromised from age. You know, it's old, it's dry rotted, and then when brake fluid gets on it, which was never supposed to be on it, it can definitely take that diaphragm out. Then you'll start getting that whistling noise. But pretty important to get that looked at real quick because if that diaphragm fails, it's going to suck the rest of the seal and the rest of the fluid out the back of that master, and you could end up losing your fluid are losing your brakes altogether. So look at the master cylinder. Take the cap off, look inside, and see if the rear reservoir is empty or very low. And if it is, what you do is remove it from the brake booster and get something like a little twist tie, you know, plastic piece, kind of stick it down in there. If you got fluid inside the booster, then you're going to be into a booster and a master cylinder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, the master cylinder was replaced once by years ago. Mm-hmm. And, again, if the booster fails, right, it'll boost take the master out. Those two work together. Right. In fact, when you buy a rebuilt booster, it usually comes with the master cylinder. And I don't like the rebuilt stuff if I can help it, but on an older car, that may be all you'll be able to get. But I like the new master cylinders. I'd prefer to get a rebuilt booster and put a new master cylinder on. But traditionally, they were sold in pairs because they work together. And one tends to take the other one out. Because mm -hmm. the fluid is level in, in the cylinder. You know, it's not low and it's not leaking or anything. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's, your fluid is full and you hadn't lost any fluid, then you're probably not leaking out at master. But, again, the booster could be, be failed. The only thing that would concern me is why is the pedal now low? Because those two don't really go hand-in-hand. Hand. The noise, I would say, yeah, it could just be a problem in the booster. And I wouldn't even be too concerned about it if it wasn't causing any other problem. 
Now, you could have another conventional problem somewhere else, too. I mean, it could be a brake spring came off somewhere. I mean, it could be all kinds of stuff can cause a low pedal. And maybe it's two different problems. It may not even be related. But I would check the fluid level carefully. If it's perfectly full, then it's probably not going to be a leak. But, you know, if it's low at all, then it's going to be a leak somewhere, whether it's the master cylinder or in one of the rear cylinders or wherever. And that but, could give you a low brake pedal. Yeah, and then the brake noise could just be a, a separate problem, you know, especially right. in this colder weather like we have right now. It's Different not things. unusual to have some brake noise in a booster, especially an older booster like that. Yeah, you hear the, you hear the air rushing right, back right. in it. Right, and right. it does. I mean, what's happening, you got two chambers in one is full of vacuum all the time, and the other one is full of vacuum, so they cancel each other out. But when you push the pedal, it vents atmospheric pressure to the back cylinder of chamber, which the, the vacuum draws the cylinder forward and the pressure pushes it forward. That's how power brakes work. But, again, it, there is air running in and out, so it's not unusual for them to make a noise, particularly when they get older. So if, there's, if it's the fluid's not yeah, if you're not losing not any fluid, then you just have to find out why your pedal's low, and it may or may not be related to noise. It could be two separate problems completely. If you have full fluid, what else could it be? That well, I mean, we could talk for four, yeah. four days on just that one topic. You, you just got to get somebody diagnosed that pedal why right. it's low. I mean, it could be a failure in one of the calipers. I mean, it could be something hanging up. It could be a spring broken one of the rear drums. I mean, it could be all kinds of stuff. You just gonna have to have someone diagnose that problem as to why your pedal's low. Okay. All righty. All right. I'll call Elizabeth and make an appointment. There you go. Sounds great. Appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take one last quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Great fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quickie lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Altazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. Still got a few minutes. Go ahead and give us a call. 291-6901. And if you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225, you can still reach us from anywhere inside the continental there United States. Sure wish you would. You know, Paul was asking about a low brake pedal and, of course, what could cause that. And as you and I both know, basically dozens and dozens of things sure, can sure. cause that. One of the tools that we use a lot in the shop is what they call a block-off tool where we can temporarily block off the fluid going to each wheel. Correct. And there are several different types. Most of them are some type of a clamp or clamping device that can mash the hose without damaging it and block the fluid now the basic procedure is just block the fluid to all four wheels check your pedal 
if it's up rock hard, then you know the problem is at one or more of the wheels. It's below the clamp. Below the clamp. Now, let's say the pedal does not come up. Well, now you know it's above the clamp. So Correct. it's going to be in the master cylinder or something ABS like that. ABS unit. Yeah, it could be booster. bypassing right. internally or who knows. And if that's the case, the next thing you would have to do is have block-off plugs where you can take the master cylinder and take two lines off and block it separately. Correct. Rebleed it. Now, if it comes up rock hard, then you know the master cylinder is okay. So, so it, the it, only thing in between is the ABS unit. Correct. So then that would be how you could diagnose that. Now, it sounds simple, but in practice, you have to have all these different size plugs because there are literally thousands of them, and you have to bleed the system between each one of these checks. So this is something that can consume a lot of time, well, even if you're equipped to do it. And some of those systems are extremely hard to bleed. Yeah, they that, are. That, Opening the hydraulic system is a last resort. Yeah, that's something that you have to do, a necessary evil. But now let's say we put the clamps on the hoses and the pedal comes up nice and hard. Okay. The next thing we do is start removing them one at a time. In other words, remove the left rear. Pedal still rock hard. Well, clamp it back off, go to the right rear. Pedal still rock hard. Clamp it off, go back to the left front. Open it, boom, pedal hits the floor. Well, there you go. That Your problem is in that one wheel. Uh-huh. But, again, you still don't know anything except that that's the area where the problem is. It's sort of like a check engine light. It just points you at the right area. But you still have to figure out which component is causing this problem. Now, you can have things like a caliper slide that's stuck. Maybe one slide is stuck. And what's happening when you're applying the brakes, the caliper is flexing the mount to apply, but then it springs back. So the pedal has to travel to push that piston all the way back out each right. and every time. It pushes the piston further back than it normally would if the slides were working correctly. Right. I've even seen where wheel bearings, way out of adjustment, can cause the weight of the car will push the rotors in, which will push the pistons in on the calipers. When you hit the brake pedal, that's hydraulic force. Sure, that, it's going to move. That's going to push that thing right back up into position. But the piston has to move a longer distance. Any travel in these pistons is going to consume pedal on the inside. Correct. Because if you understand hydraulics, what happens is you have a little piston pushing a bigger piston, which amplifies the force. But it also increases the travel. Correct. And just a very, very tiny amount of travel on a caliper, which has about an inch and a half, two-inch diameter piston, will cause an excessive amount of travel on that little five-eighths to half inch to three quarter inch piston in that master cylinder exponentially and so if you pick up let's say an extra 16th of an inch of travel at the wheel you're probably going to lose an inch and a half of travel at the, at pedal. the pedal and other things can cause that as well i mean we could uh, go on and I mean, on and on and on like yeah. i said a broken spring on drum brakes where the shoes move out of position can cause that to come on all of a sudden. Sure. Any kind of a leak in the system any, where... Any air? Or any air that gets into the system. Even if it's not leaking to the outside and air draws in, then sure. you know, it can cause that kind of problem. So the thing is, it's going to require somebody with the right tooling and a the little bit of time to find the right that, knowledge to find it. Mm-hmm, find that problem. And I see we're getting pretty close. If, in case you didn't get a chance to call in today, you can always go to the website, get your questions answered that way. There you go. Just hit us on the contact button, send me an email, and I'll get an answer right back to you. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written view, and fill it out for us. That's right. It'll move us up in the ranking so more people can listen and we can keep on doing the show. A preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.